Hey, this is Michael Love Michael coming to you from inside the infinite kaleidoscope. <laughs> it's warm when spring is coming. You can feel the cool south breeze. The busy bees pass humming and linger among the trees. You can see the oak buds swelling. As the grass begins to grow, the other things are telling. There's no fear of ice. There's no fear of snow. The farmers are glad to see it return. <laughs> they will have such jolly fun. The weeds in the grass, they burn under the strong rays of the sun. The gardens and fields must be broken and late of seeds be sown. The crack in the ground is a token. Before long, the plants are full grown. The farmers must all get busy, weeding and plowing the ground. We see the return at harvest, even those living in the town. We should all be glad of our Southland, from farm crops to mineral vein. But the thing that we should be most proud of is the coming of Pleasant Spring. This poem was written by my great-grandmother, Leela Broadnax. Thanks, Grandma. <laughs> Welcome to the Infinite Kaleidoscope, a space where we talk to creatives about being creative. I'm your host, Kristen Kofer. Hey everybody, my name is Michael Love Michael. I live in New York City and I am a musician, a writer, an activist, and a friend. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Do you feel like you were born an artist? Definitely. I feel like, you know, when I was younger, my intellect was the thing that was encouraged. And I was in like these like advanced learning classes and things like that. I always scored really high on these tests. And I was like winning spelling bees as a little kid and playing piano like very fluently and uh, singing. And, uh, but you know, I feel like the thing that was most encouraged was like this idea that, you know, cause I grew up kind of in a rough area. I was told that if I could get an education, that would be my way out of that situation, you know? And so my artistic instincts and inclinations, they almost felt like they came second place to my studies. But yeah, it's always been in me and I always found ways to do it anyway. Michael of Michael grew up between Chicago and Gary, Indiana. That's where I spent most of my time. The Jackson family's from there, and Gary's a Rust Belt city. Do you know what that is? No, Michael of Michael. Please teach me. It's just one of those cities of industry, something very technical that has a wide use. And so the city really boomed in that way, like in that post-industrial revolution kind of way. And then at one point, I think a lot of the population started to decline. Some of the plants shut down, crime went up, people left, you know, and then it became this skeletal ghost town, if you will. 
And so I grew up in the weird in between of that. It wasn't booming, but it definitely was more populated. And then I watched it just dwindle and dwindle. And for it to be a mostly Black city, for that to happen, we all know that the reasons why things like that happen are usually systemic. I think that was another thing that I was like always thinking about as a kid, but didn't realize how it would affect me until later in life. I like to imagine Michael of Michael as this perfect little child prodigy, playing chess and doing algebra, winning spelling bees. Okay, so I won the spelling bee in third grade. I think my winning word was onomatopoeia. Can you still spell it? Let's see. O-N-O-M-A-T-O-P-O-E-I-A, I think. I had to look it up. Yes, Michael of Michael correctly spelled onomatopoeia. I also had no idea that the word contained a T. And in case you were wondering, onomatopoeia means the naming of a thing or action by a vocal imitation of the sound associated with it, such as buzz or hiss. Yeah, okay, so I got really cocky because I got like this giant trophy. I got my photo in the newspaper. I had like an interview. I wish I still had that clipping. I would love to see this newspaper article. Like, I would share it instantly. Michael of Michael, when you were winning those spelling bees, you were already performing. When my grandmother died a few years ago, my father was going through all of her documents and her papers and stuff, and he found a poem that my grandmother had saved that her mother written about springtime in the South what it was like back then and being a farmer. I think I come from the line of people who like really cared for the land and were stewards of the land in different ways. And my dad sent me a photo of this poem. And for my upcoming album, I turned that poem into a song, like such a wonderful way to like honor her. But anyway, as far as artists, I don't know. I think people were crafty in different ways, but I often feel like I'm like the only one or something, which is that classic black sheep syndrome. I think a lot of us listening can relate to the black sheep syndrome. I know that I can. Michael of Michael fell in love with music as a kid, reading Rolling Stone and making beats using a software program called Fruity Loops. Michael of Michael, tell me more about these early explorations. I've never been just interested in one thing, which... I used to think it was bad or something because it's like, you're not focused or people are going to think you're crazy. That is what makes me the artist I am and the artist I'm becoming. Tell me more about how you were secretly making music at the age of 16. So the story behind that is I had a family friend who lived across the street from my grandmother And me and my younger brother, who is a rapper, who's actually so amazing. But anyway, we would go visit my grandmother. We'd do chores and cut the grass and pull weeds in her backyard and basically work on the land, which is what we were taught. And then after dinner or whatever, we'd ask if we could go across the street to our friend's house. Everyone called him Peanut. And (laughs) Peanut had a recording studio in his basement. What? I know. (laughs) Lucky Peanut. (laughs) Yeah, so he was a cop by day and then a producer by night. 
And so he was this awesome person who also had like really diverse, eclectic taste in music. And then we would just go in and record these demos with him and write these songs. He taught us how, and then he let us do it on our own. And then he gave us the program that he used to create the beats, which was Fruity Loops. And so I got a bootleg of that. I put it on my computer. And after school, before I would do my homework, I'd work on beats for two or three hours and then record these like shitty little demos. I still have them. It's a folder of demos that probably no one will ever hear. When did you decide that you wanted to get more serious with music and do it as a career? The pandemic, honestly, was the thing that really pushed me because not to be morbid, but I really just zeroed in on the fact that people were dying and I didn't want to be someone who, if I had gotten COVID and it affected me in a terrible way, I didn't want to be a person who like was in a hospital somewhere wishing that I'd tried and and never tried, you know, which a really intense motivator, but it was the thing that like fucking made me just do it. And I'd already started recording some songs more professionally in the proper studio with a really talented producer named Rich Da Silva here in New York before the pandemic. But then when it hit and I was in quarantine, I wrote all these songs and produced them with Rich over like Zoom sessions and recorded my vocals on an iPhone That was the entirety of my first album. And I think it sounds really fresh for considering that. And I recorded some of it on this farm. So one of the things I did in the middle of 2020, as a lot of people were (laughs) facing really huge challenges and making really big decisions in light of those challenges was... I left my partner for a little bit and I left my job and I decided to go out to this permaculture farm in Western Washington on the peninsula. I studied permaculture. I worked on the land. I worked with sheep and ducks, cows. It was so sweet. And it was a real bonding experience. And it was also chaotic because of the backdrop of everything going on. But it was this 40 acre haven. When were you finding time to finish your album? During the day, sometimes after work, like basically like after working all day on the land, I would go out to the orchard and I would record some of my vocals for like songs. I have a song called Million Girls that I remember lying under this budding apple tree, like recording the vocals to that, just like lying in the grass with like duck shit everywhere. (laughs) That's one of the songs I was going to tell you I'm really drawn to on the album. Oh, thank you. I'm really proud of that song. I guess it's like a deep cut and it doesn't seem like an obvious standout. But I think that the meaning of the song is really important. And I really love the vocals and I love kind of the washed out production on that track. Tell us what Million Girls is about. That song is about like the mining crisis, actually. I was reading something about how children are forced to work in mines and they die and they become like voiceless right like you don't really hear anything from their perspective and you also don't hear about that because people are so um, obsessed with the final product which is like an iphone or a computer which i'm using right now or diamonds which is to say that we're all weirdly complicit in this horrible thing 
So it's a song about being voiceless, basically. And the hook says, Cause someone in a million for a dollar a day, I'll tell no one. So it's like just this idea of people working for pennies and being forced to be behind the scenes and in the shadows. Thank you for sharing that. Tell me about the EXO album cover. There was an area on the farm that had this kind of enchanted forest. Mm. And me and my best friend were out there at the same time. And their name is mm. Ross Hayes. And Ross is uh, a budding filmmaker, actor, etc. Another queer Black person. Mm. It was just me and Ross. We were taking all these beautiful photos in this enchanted forest, basically. And like in the cow pastures. <laughs> so when I look at it, you look gorgeous. And then it almost looks like a scary road that you're about to walk down. Exactly. And I'm like inviting you to come with me. Yeah. That was the vibe. Okay, good. I'm glad you saw that, Kristen. I'm going to notice the visuals for sure. <laughs> the other song I was really drawn to was your song Canary. Oh, yeah. Okay, so Canary is a cover of a Liz Fair song from Exile in Guyville, cool. which was one of my favorite. I had no business listening to a song like Flower when I was a child. But yeah. There- listening to flower and being like every time i see your face i want like i wanna fuck you yeah like like, what (laughs) oh my god you're like this little prodigy singing (laughs) how you freaked out your parents i definitely freaked my dad i remember he had this book about psychoanalysis and freud yeah and i found the book and he was like don't read that put that down You're not allowed to look at that. I was like, why? The fuck? (laughs) Is your family supportive of you now? Doing a creative path? I don't know if they really understand it, but I think they respect it because I'm choosing my own path. You know what I mean? I think they respect that I'm like an adult who is taking care of myself. I think their main concern is like, are your bills getting paid? And it's just like, they're like that too. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, Barely, but yes, I'm fine. There are more things in life than a salary and a 401k is what I have learned in the past couple years of professionally releasing music and performing it and recording and all that. Thank you for saying that. You know what I mean? And what about fulfillment? What about what makes you happy? Why are we so away from that as a society? I don't know, because it seems needed and it also seems like people want it but yeah they don't want to necessarily pay for it exactly but the thing is then you have all these people living with like regret but i think people think money buys happiness i think it's been proven over and over again that is just not true you know what i mean like it might like pay for the ability to not care about things which is actually a, a thing i address a lot on exo i have a song called six jaguars that's literally all about that like tons of money and extreme wealth can lead to this apathy what's the point in having all that money if you're not fulfilled and like not doing something good for the world that song came on in my car yesterday when i was in traffic and i was sandwiched between a tesla and a bmw i'm not even joking oh shit wow yeah that's that's hot okay i love that maybe it got you to think a little bit while singing and dancing i love that song i think it's a fucking jam 
I love your song Six Jaguars too, Michael of Michael, and the video you made for it. Thank you. You know what? I, that is me working on my little art budget with a team of really amazing creative people that I'm friends with. Yeah. And just doing our best and having fun and trying to like recreate this like lady of the house aesthetic, you know? Yeah. My songs are so loaded. I feel like maybe a bit didactic sometimes talking about them because there's always like 12 things going on, but that's literally just how my brain works. Do you have a message for the people who listen to your music? I would say, I just want people to know that they can be more than one thing, that they can embody like the sacred and the profane, the holy and the sacrilegious, you know, the fun and the terror, like they can be it all at once. Yeah. And that they don't have to choose between one thing or another. And what I've had to learn, and this is what music has really helped me with, is music is my way of sharing all of my multitudes. And I just want people to know that they have that in them too. And they can embrace that about themselves and share that with the world. I, I think it's actually very generous. And I don't mean, by the way, if someone is harboring evil, like, then be evil. That's not, <laughs> what, that's not what I'm saying oh, at all. I saw the video where you murder the, the character. Uh, my Yeah, so that was my best friend, Ross, that I was mentioning earlier. Okay, how fun yeah. that must have been. That was so fucking fun. Ross is from LA. And okay. so I, I was visiting them in LA for a month. And Ross loves that song so much, which is obviously very flattering and sweet. Yeah. They were like, I literally have this visual concept in my mind that I can't get out of my head. And so they wrote the treatment. And with another one of my friends, Joe Piston, they, they directed it with me. So that video sets up like where I'm at now in the music. Okay. Now, making now in a way. So I'm basically playing a sex worker who kills her John. That's like the surface read. And then the deeper read is that like, I'm killing a former part of myself or like toxic masculinity so that I can become the fullness of what I am now, which is what I've always been. But like stepping into womanhood and my transness and all of that. Oh my God, you're making me feel so full of joy. Listening oh, to you. <laughs> thank you. And I've always wanted to do that sort of thing on camera, like kill a quote man or male figure. <laughs> so. yeah. And because it's your best friend again, it's yeah. probably really fun for you two to do that because Ross isn't really dead. <laughs> yeah, no, Ross is not dead. Everyone is very much alive. Ross uh, was very mad at me, though, because in the drowning scene, I got a little carried away. Oh, no. It's like, wow, you really committed to that part. And yeah. I really thought I was going to drown for a second, you oh, bitch. No. <laughs> oh, like, my God. Oh no, Ross is probably like coughing and stuff. Oh, oh no. Ross was coughing, but Ross was also committed to the role. So yeah. we just, we did what we had cool. to do for the part. <laughs> I also listened to your new single, Richard, and I mm. watched that video, which I can't believe you're in Paris. You want to talk about that? But just, you seem so full of light in that video. Absolutely. Thank you so much. So Richard, I produced with my current A1 day one. His name's Ruben Bouchard and mm -hmm. super talented. He worked for Beyonce's team for many years and is a really talented producer and songwriter in his own right. So we made that song together based on our mutual grief. Like he was going through something and then 
I was remembering a loved one who died when I was like 16, okay. who was a really lonely person and lived a very solitary life. But I had these really amazing memories of him coming to my grandmother's house and us dancing to soul records in Aww. the living room. Yeah. And so that inspired the sound of the song. That's why it has like more of a soul feel. I wanted to lift him. And also the second verse kind of touches on my memory of a former partner, like former relationship and missing them in this beautiful nostalgic way that's very sweet. And so I think the song has like this nostalgic element. And so I just thought it's nostalgic and romantic in the way that it like uplifts these memories. And I just thought, what's the most romantic place that I could possibly film a video for this in? And I've been obsessed with both New York and Paris since I was a child. And I'm studying French right now because I'm gonna spend all of May in Paris. Cause I'm, I like, I'm trying to basically set my life up so that eventually I can be between both places. How romantic. I can't say enough about how much I love Paris, but I went for my birthday, my 33rd birthday. And like- Your Jesus year. Yeah, it's my Jesus year, my holy year, my, yeah, all of it. Which by the way, is like a working title for my next album, Holy Year. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, so anyway, I went to Paris. I met these collaborators that were introduced through Friends of Friends. And we filmed this gorgeous video that the idea was that it would just be like a day in the life of this performer just existing in Paris. So you see me drinking espresso and petting a dog, Mm -hmm. just walking around in the streets and touching the wall of love, which is like that famous art piece that has I love you in over 250 languages. And that was like the simplicity and the romance that we wanted to capture. And I just was like, I want to make it bright and I want to wear something really colorful and really Parisian. I love that you mentioned spending so much time with your grandmother because I was very close with mine too. Grandmas are the best. My grandmother taught me everything I know about land and the the appreciation for nature. And she just had this unwavering generosity. I don't know, grandmas can often be really generous. Yeah. And they're often the matriarchs too, so they take mm-hmm. care of so many people. Do you feel like your grandma's still with you? Okay, so I actually saw a medium recently and we mm. did like really beautiful intuitive session and she I think divined the spirit of my grandmother and she said whatever this entity is she is extremely proud of you and she she is so happy that you're becoming who you are now and And like, she wants to get dressed with you in the morning. Like she wants to like see what you decide to put on as you go out into the day. This is seriously giving me goosebumps right now. Isn't that crazy? She was reserved about her compliments. Like she was, that's just how she was. It's that generation too. Absolutely. She wasn't like gassing me up. She was kind of like, oh, okay, mm-hmm, we'll see. She wasn't a hater, but she definitely didn't gas me up. Her comments were always very well-placed and thoughtful. And then I literally had this visual of her just like smiling ear to ear, just like cheering me on from wherever she is now. And it it stays with me. That has stayed with me. I actually have tears in my eyes right now. (laughs) 
yeah, I want everyone to have amazing grandma experience. So everyone, I found Michael of Michael way late from a collaboration they did with Chelsea Wolf. Yeah. So tell us about it. Okay. So Chelsea, I've been like a huge fan for many years and have seen her live a bunch of times. I first fell in love with her music back. I think it was Flatlands was the single. And then I worked backwards from there. So I got into Apocalypse. Ellipsis, and I also bought The Grime and the Glow, which is her first album. Mm. And you know how music is. You feel like you're building like this deep connection with someone in your mind. And you just hope that someday you can tell them how much you appreciate their work. And so I was trying to do that by writing about her. So much yeah. like, <laughs> you know, you're manifesting it. I was manifesting it, I think. And at one point after some piece that I'd written about her come out, she started to follow me on Instagram. And as I started to write the songs for this album, I made the version of the song Have that the two of us have together. I made like a different version of that song that was like faster and just more like rock heavy and intense. And I don't know where I got the the nerve really because I was so scared. I was like, she's going to say no, like she's going to think I'm lame. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? And she was like, send it to me. Absolutely. And this was also after I noticed that she had been sharing some of my music. So I was like, okay, well, she's already into what I'm doing, I think. Yeah. And I don't think she is the kind of person who would share something if she didn't like it. And so I emailed her the track. She sat with it a while. She loved it. And then I was like, I really want to make like a spooky alt, like, dark folk version of this track mm. and so she wrote the guitar i can't even tell you i'm, I'm literally gonna cry but just to hear because i think the lyrics of that song and the meaning of it is so powerful for me and to hear someone that i admired so much put her heart into even just like a demo recording that she yeah. sent me of herself playing guitar and singing my lyrics in the melody that i wrote i could not believe it because like, I think when you put out music, you want it to be the highest reflection of you in a way. Have that mirrored back to me by like someone that I admired and loved for so long. It's like one of the biggest gifts I think I've ever received. Hearing that is what made me be like, who is this person? Yeah. Yes. That song really moves me actually. It sounds like Chelsea's howling. Yes, she is. She totally is in the background and then also when we were going through different mixes and stuff, she mentioned something about coyotes and stuff near her. And I became in love with the sound of coyotes howling while I was out on the farm, actually. I asked if Chelsea could record them where they were near her and put them in the song, and she did. And I think we sound so fucking good together. Like... <laughs> Let's put out there that you do more collaborations. Absolutely. I would love to sing that live with her at some point. Where can people find and listen and buy your music? So I'm on all streaming platforms, Spotify, Apple, Tidal, YouTube, wherever you get your music. And I'm also on Bandcamp as well under Michael Love Michael, all under Michael Love Michael. Have you performed live yet? A bunch. Thankfully, since since things reopened last summer, like in June, I, okay. I like I, I think I've done like maybe 10 or 11 shows, something like that. 
cool. How did that feel when, like, the first time you performed live after all these years of secretly playing music and making these songs? And how was that? So cathartic. I, I don't know. I, like, felt like I blacked out and I was just, like, in this other zone and I was channeling something because I sounded full throttle. There were yeah. tracks was like, I was like, oh, I didn't know I could even yell like that. I didn't know I had that kind of range. So I think it was like something very primal came out of me, actually. I think that's what the performer aspect is. It's totally different than you. Yeah. Oh my God, it's so out of body and it's so weird. I can't even, I cannot explain it. It is so strange. <laughs> Are you going to be doing more of it? Do you have any of that you want to share? Yeah, there's a band here in town called called Demigod, who's really amazing. They have this fusion of like electronic music, rock, there's like an operatic vocal and then rap. It's so cool. Oh, neat. And we've been talking for a while about planning like a group show. I'm trying to get like one of the more like iconic venues in New York, just like something downtown and really cool. So we're thinking maybe end of March, early April. And I have a band that I've been working with now. So I'll be playing with a band and everything. And cool. Sounds yeah. like I need to go with visit New York. Yes. <laughs> Of course you do. And I need to come out West. I'm dying to get out there again. Yeah. I relate to what you were saying about your music video making, because I don't think you need to have a lot of money to make beautiful work. You don't. I would say to creatives, that's another thing I would add. Like you don't need a million dollar budget to create something beautiful and meaningful. You don't like, I think that's a total myth. And I think obviously if you got it like that, do it. Mm. But is not a necessity. You can make shit in your house, like for free, like paying no money, but that is stunning. With like the way technology is advanced and all the things you can do in editing, it's almost like, to me, it feels unnecessary. I'd rather spend that money like traveling or- Buying Vivian Westwood. Buying <laughs> Westwood, okay. <laughs> or going on tour, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'd rather do that kind of stuff, which That's is- cool. I hope to go on tour. I want to go so bad. Do you have any advice for other creators? I would just say like, you know, just do you. I don't know. Fuck the numbers. Fuck the stats. Fuck the idea that you need to be a millionaire. Unless, of course, that is what happens as a byproduct of something you do well and get attention for. But I don't think that people should make art so that they can be famous. I think people should make art because it's just in them to do it. And just do literally what is true to you and you'll find your audience, you'll find your groove, you'll find the people who appreciate it. And that matters more than I think anything else. And I think the rest will come. The rest works itself out somehow. I think Michael of Michael is truly their own authentic self. You can see it coming out in all parts of them. Thank you for joining me again today in another Infinite Kaleidoscope. I'm a one-woman production team, and I'm really loving making space for these conversations and putting these shows together. The theme music is by Chelsea Wolfe and Ben Chisholm. Other music in the episode is by Michael Love Michael. The cover art is by Sandy Santa Maria. Thank you, Michael Love Michael, for sharing your path and words with us. Their band camp and music videos that we talked about are listed in the show notes. Please support them and their work. Thank you, listener, and I will see you here next week, and we will walk with another creative on their path. Music is my way of sharing all of my multitudes, and 
I just want people to know that they have that in them too. And they can embrace that about themselves and share that with the world. Last thing. Michael of Michael, you and I are interested in so many things, and there's nothing wrong with that. People are going to think you're crazy. Yeah. This podcast is a proud member of the BFF.FM podcast network. Learn more at podcasts.bff.fm. BFF.fm, best frequencies forever.